0: 2 Peter 3, verse 10 says this, But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. You see, Peter gave reasons to believe Jesus would return to earth again, despite what false teachers were saying. This is the Remember series of the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast, a survey of 2 Peter. Today's episode, Rely on Jesus' Return. Here's Senior Pastor Perry Duggar.
1: Well, you sang it, but do you believe? Yes. Does it show? Yes. We continue our series, our survey of 2 Peter called Remember. Today's message is entitled Rely on Jesus' Return. You can take your program out that you received on the way in, and on top of the outline, the part of the verse that I chose as the theme for today. From chapter 3, verse 10. We'll be in chapter 3 exclusively today. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Now the day of the Lord, Hebrew, Yom Yahweh, refers to the intervention of God into human history. To execute final judgment. To destroy the present universe with fire to replace it with a new heaven and a new earth. Now, this letter was likely written during Peter's final year, which was sometime in 67, 68 AD, because he was martyred by Nero, the Roman emperor, and Nero died in 68 AD. So Peter's writing to people he cares about. As I said to you, imagine you knew you were living in your last days, and he did know that. Was it because he was in prison? Was it because Jesus had told him? Scripture doesn't tell us that. But he knew he was nearing the end of his life. So he wrote what was most important to him. He communicated his great concern that people not be confused or led astray by false teachers who had now infiltrated the churches. We'll be in chapter three, second Peter. I think that's mine talking to me. Verse one, this is the second letter to you, my second letter, what what was the first letter? What? First Peter, that wasn't a trick question. Whenever I ask you an easy question, you think I'm trying to make you fall in a hole or something, don't you? No, it's obvious. This is my second letter. First Peter was the first one. Dear friends, and in both of them, I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. Now this part of Peter's letter dealt specifically with the truth of Jesus' second coming. These charlatan teachers, not teachers from Charlotte, charlatan teachers, they were tricksters, they were deceivers, they were liars, denied the Savior's return. Why? Why'd they deny it? They were Sadducees. They were Sadducees. Is that what I heard? No, these weren't Sadducees. These were probably Gentiles, in fact. They denied it, although you're right, the Sadducees didn't believe in, in the miraculous, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees were two different Jewish parties. And so the Sadducees really believed in nothing miraculous. So that was right, that's good insight. But these people are in Asia Minor, and likely all, most of them Gentiles, probably some mixture of Jews too. But they disbelieved it because it didn't serve them well. Because they are living immorally and they're encouraging immorality. So they had to deny the return of Christ. Because the return of Christ would begin a time of judgment and accountability or responsibility for sin. So Peter asserted that Jesus' return is reliable. And in these 10 verses I'll cover today, he points out three different reasons. One wasn't a reason, but one's an associated understanding. Jesus' return is reliable first because God's word is true. Verse 2. I want you to remember what the holy prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Peter appealed to the letters recipients to remember what they were taught from the scripture, particularly the Old Testament prophets, many of whom spoke of the Messiah's return and of Jehovah's, the day of the Lord coming in fire and destruction. But Peter's also saying that Jesus said it, but Jesus' apostles also repeated it. That included Peter, Paul, and others. And so they all taught about the coming of Jesus, In fact, okay, who knows how many books there are in the New Testament? 27. That? Josh, where are the gold stars? That's good. Yes, 27. Of the 27, 23 explicitly refer to Jesus' return. Two more imply it. Only two don't mention the return of Jesus. Now, let's see if you know those. You know those? That's a hard one. That's a hard one. Philemon and 3 John, two of the shortest letters in the New Testament, are the only two books or letters in the New Testament that don't explicitly address the subject of Jesus' return. In fact, there's 260 chapters in the new testament and in those 260 there's about 300 mentions of jesus return so the 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 bible is saturated with the return of christ so when you say i don't believe that you're essentially shredding the bible because that truth permeates the scripture it's part of the gospel verse three most importantly i want to remind you that in the last days now the last days refer to the time between Jesus ascension what mount did he ascend from? you're doing good the time between Jesus ascension and his return that's the last day so are we living in the last days yes we are so in the last days Scoffers will come, and they will mock the truth and follow their own desires. That's what it says. So Peter was referring not to future events. He was referring to current events, but are they occurring today? Yeah. These scoffers, who are the false teachers, and possibly some of those who were following them, were ridiculing the idea that Jesus was coming back. And they were following their own desires. And their own desires were what? We've been looking at this. Promiscuous immorality and greed. Follow the money, it says. And love of money is the root of all types of evil. Verse 4, they will say, mockingly, sarcastically, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming back again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Now, in the early days, not everyone had a Bible. Most of you in this room have half a dozen. But in the early days, people didn't own Bibles. They went to the synagogues where the, where the Torah was read. These letters that were written by the apostles were circulated among churches, but people didn't have copies of it. So what they did is they they learned what we would call a creed or a statement of faith, and that was kind of related to the last song we sang. They would declare what they believed, and the return of Jesus was part of what the church believed because the return of Jesus completed the work of salvation. We think of salvation just because Jesus died and was resurrected, but really he died, so it made it all complete. No, it, it's completed when he returns, punishes the wicked, rewards the godly, establishes his kingdom on earth. So the false teachers are asking sarcastically, well, where is he then to make fun of Christians? And they declared, well, nothing's changed since the beginning of time. And what they're saying is, and it's not going to change. The world is settled and there's no divine being going to interrupt what's happening. Jesus will not reappear. Now for you scientists out there, this is a naturalistic argument. It's a kind of uniformitarianism. Y'all want to repeat that? (laughs) Uniformitarianism. Everything's uniform. Everything's the same. Nothing changes. But what it implies is that God's absent from the earth. If God exists at all. And we would call that a worldview. How many of you have a worldview? Let me see your hands. You have a worldview. What about the rest of y'all? Everybody has a worldview. You may not be able to articulate your worldview, but if someone watched you, they could articulate your worldview because your worldview are those assumptions you're making about life. Now, most of us in this room assume God is real, active, involved. Is that right? Others assume there is no God, or if there is, he's like, I hear this crazy word now, he's the source, or he's... Have y'all heard all this crazy stuff about the vibrations? I'm, I'm moving from the third to the fifth. I'm vibrating. But that's just another way not to have to face God. And so any of these other words, either there is no God or he's, was here and he's gone and he's not coming back or we don't really have a God, we have this amorphous, upright blur. We, we have, maybe there's a power, maybe there's a, a, a force of some kind, maybe there's a source of... All of that comes from the same place. And I know some of y'all, you think, well, the conservative people are saying that. Well, they're just as foolish as the others. If it's not God, it's not God. Regarding Jesus' return, these people were arguing that there was no evidence of his involvement in events on earth. And if so, why would you think he's coming back if we don't see that he's ever come before? Do you see evidence of God at work? Do you? That's important. Now, I can tell you... Sometimes we don't see evidence that God's doing what we would like Him to do. At least not in the timing we'd like Him to act. But do we still see evidence? Do we still have the conviction, the sense, the understanding of God's presence? Peter pointed out that not only does the Word of God predict the coming day of the Lord, it also predicts the appearance of these scoffers. So, the fact that these people were scoffing or mocking or ridiculing, all those words would come from the same Greek origin, actually proves the truth of the Bible. Because it not only predicted the return of Christ, but it said people would deny he'll return as well. Now, let me ask this again why did they deny Jesus would return? Say it again. Fear of what? Fear of being wrong. That's that's true. That's true. Somebody said over here, fear of judgment. Fear of, of responsibility for the way they're living. See, if there is no God, then who are you responsible to? Maybe... The judge or the police officer, but that's only if you get caught, and then we don't know what happens sometimes. But these people wanted to continue living in sin, and they wanted to expand their following. They wanted to increase the people they influenced because they were accepting collections from those people. And the reality of Jesus' return, it's like any deadline, right? How many of you work with deadlines? It motivates you, doesn't it? It makes you responsible for how you use your time, particularly when everybody went home and worked at home, which some people thrived and other people did terribly. I mean, you sat in your pajamas all day, but you didn't get your work done. Some and some thrived, but but an awareness of a deadline There's going to be an accountability. There's going to be some expectations. And they're going to be visited upon me causes us all to live reflectively. And we consider how we're using the time we've been given. So if you say God is aware what's going on, God is active in this world, he's going to return in an even more apparent way. And there will be accountability for all actions good and evil so this belief caused other people see if they believed that then they didn't pay any attention to what these heretics were saying who were spreading lies they just immediately said I don't believe that I'm not listening to what you're saying do you think people believe that today follow that thinking today Jesus isn't returning there is no God do you know people that believe that Well, sure, it's self-serving. People today doubt, they even make fun of the idea, particularly the idea of hell or a future day of judgment for the same reason. Because if you think there's a day of judgment coming, then there is visited on you an oppressive awareness that you will be held responsibility for the use of your life. See how different that is? an oppressive awareness and so they assert some of them will say well yeah we know there's a God but then they define God as loving docile and tame as though convincing other people to agree with them would change the ultimate reality and yet that's propagated in our culture today it's not so much there is no God there were eras Um, when that was more in vogue, was it? You remember that? That was just there was no God at all. Um, Today, it's not. Today, it's more spiritual. There is a God, but people dictate to him who he is and his personality. And he's just mild. Sort of reminds me of the Chronicles of Narnia. Y'all know that book? It's a good one to start reading again or read it to your kids. And there are two sisters, uh, Susan and what was the other one's name? I know y'all have it right, but I can't hear what you're saying. So, Lucy, Lucy. So they were saying, they they were they heard that that Aslan, the king, was a lion. And they said, Well, I'm I'm afraid of the lion. Is, is he tame? And the beaver said, Well, no, he's not tame, but he's good. And it's a great description of our God. Our God is not tame. He is not passive. He is not docile or weak. But he is good. Does the truth of God's word, including Jesus' return, guide your life? There is a deadline. There will be a reckoning. You say, well, I don't want to live in fear. Well, you don't have to live in fear if you're... If you're using your life in an appropriate way, it's a motivation to heed the time, to take advantage of the opportunities. Jesus' return is reliable also because God's work is consistent. Verse 5. They deliberately, now if you write in your book, you can underline the word deliberately They deliberately, in your Bible, they deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Genesis 1 9 and 10. What this is saying is they knew God was the creator. You think they did? What do y'all think about that? The scripture says everyone knows God is creator. Do you believe that? Well, if they really know it and they see the evidence in the creation, then why do they say they don't believe it? You know Romans 1, that passage? Why do they say they don't believe it? Because their deeds were evil. So they denied there was a God at all because it let them off the hook. And they suppressed the truth of God, it said, and God turned them over to live however they wanted to live. You can read that. It begins in Romans 1, verse 18. The scoffers claim Jesus wouldn't return because nothing has changed. The world's not changing. God's not involved if God exists at all. But people don't see or they deny seeing what they don't want to see. There are none so blind as those who will not see. You know who articulated that? Not first, but popularly, Jonathan Edwards. It's why a burglar can't find a police officer. They don't want to. They don't want to. Scientists today disregard data and ignore, even censor, we've learned painfully, counter arguments that they don't want to consider if they contradict their hypothesis or their agenda. committed evolutionists don't want to see evidence of a creator though you'll see there's a, there's a growing contingency of scientists that articulate that there is a creator they don't articulate the God of the Bible but it's too orderly to be random you know I want to say something. Ask questions. Ask questions about everything. I've told you if I preach something, ask questions. Look in the Bible. And I'm talking about in our culture. If we get served another so called pandemic, ask questions. Because here's the point, anything that's scientific allows challenge. Now we're not, we're not going to divide on who believes there was a virus and who doesn't, who believes the vaccines worked and who believe they're, they're awful medically. We're not gonna create that division, but what we are gonna do is we're gonna in, invite questions. Because I can tell you this, I'm not planning to shut the doors again if some organization that I no longer trust says to shut the doors. I don't. Here's the thing. I don't. I don't want y'all to clap over that. I I don't want y'all to clap because I don't. I'm not trying to divide us on this political stuff. What I'm trying to do is say, let's stand for truth. Let's ask questions. Let's look at all sides of this. You see. I don't want us to divide on yeses and nos. We are unified in Christ, but it's not out of bounds to question. It's not out of bounds to find a physician or a scientist you trust and ask them and find one with a different opinion you trust. You see what I'm saying? That's what I'm calling us to, but I'm not calling us to start some political battle at all. That doesn't serve God. Peter countered these false teachers' arguments by claiming that the world came into being by God's word, by God's action. Not, not that it was just generated by itself. And furthermore, that God continues to interact in this world. Verse 6. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. Genesis 6-10. through 10. Peter used the example of God sending to flood to prove that the world has changed, to prove that God has intervened. And it was changed by God's intrusion into what was going on. And it was in response to the world's corruption. Peter's argument is obvious. The same God who created the world supernaturally can and will intervene in the world whenever he wishes. Psalm 115.3, Psalm one thirty five six. But another thing we, we have to understand, we, we have this idea that the world was just started and the globe was spun and it just continues. That's not scientifically correct, much less biblically correct. Do you know that? The world was created and it's sustained by God, more specifically by Christ. Psalm 102, 25 and 27. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. Hebrews 1, 3. The, the world is not self-sustaining. It's God-sustaining. I mean, if you look down to a molecular level or an atomic level, there are opposite charged electrons and protons they should repel each other and yet they're held together in fact that's what an atomic bomb is is when you split and the power is released when you split the atoms but for again for you scientists the rest of y'all just take a nap for a minute but um the second law of thermodynamics is also called the law of You know, the law of boredom. The law of, it's called, (laughs) I know that I'm only talking to three of you, but it's the law of entropy. But what it means is that every substance goes from order, created order, to disorder. Nothing naturally becomes more organized, never more complex by itself. That's the second law of thermodynamics. So our world is running down unless it's sustained and held by God, specifically by Christ. Verse 7. And by the same word, which is active and powerful, the present heavens, and, and this word heavens really means the area above the earth, the sky. The present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. So God intruding into this world to destroy sin, to deliver his people. You say, well, we believe all that. Yes, but we may not be living with a continual awareness of it. And people around us in this culture are actively denying And so God will intrude again. He'll destroy sin and corruption. He'll deliver his people. And that's consistent with his character. God's character is consistent. God's nature is the same. He doesn't just change his mind randomly like people do. Numbers 23, 19. And he's already displayed that character and he's made promises that he will revisit the earth again. God's promises are reliable, they're trustworthy, they're true. Even the promise to execute judgment. And this is not a promise that we should glory in. It's a a promise that should be painful to us. After the flood, God promised he would never again judge the world by water. Genesis 9, 8 through 17. 17. And many passages, numerous passages, speak of coming judgment using fire imagery. But the point here is is that God's work is consistent. And as He intervened in the past to judge sin on earth, He will judge it again in the future, just as He promised but even as those who have rejected God, rejected the good news, rejected the Son, will be judged. He also knows his own. And those of us that he deems godly, not because our behavior is perfectly, but because by faith he declares us righteous, will be spared. Second Peter 2, verses 5 and 9. I mean, do you believe Jesus will return. Are you living in that awareness? Are you preparing for his arrival? If he shows up today, are you living in a way and doing the things you would love to have him view? When Jesus reliably returns, we will see that God's will is merciful. Peter anticipated or he heard another argument from the false teachers. Why the delay? If he's coming, okay, why is he waiting? Has he changed his mind? Has he forgotten? What's going on with your God? Verse 8. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. That's, That's... Somewhat taken from Psalm 90, verse 4, but it's a little bit different. God doesn't live in time. Time is an artifice, it's something He created for us to live in. And so God exists in past, present, and future simultaneously. So we can't expect Jesus to return according to our timetable. These counterfeit Christians were making God in their own image. And they ignored the fact that God's eternal. He has neither beginning nor ending because he dwells in eternity. But eternity doesn't mean a long time or an extended time. God doesn't, God's existence is apart from time. It's outside of and above time. Now, men and women are immortal. We are. We don't, but we had a beginning, but we won't have an ending. So every person will live forever somewhere in the presence of God in heaven, separated from God in hell. Why the delay? Verse nine, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think, probably the false prophets, the false teachers. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed and wants everyone to repent. Boy, I hope that's the way we feel. I hope we're not so divided in this culture that we would love for people to be on the wrong side of Christ's return. God delays the second coming so people can be saved. Because when He comes, judgment will occur. His kingdom will be ushered in on earth. God is merciful. God is patient. He's allowing time for people to repent, to be saved. See, if you you think of God that God enjoys destroying, punishing. I don't think you have an accurate view of God. I mean, we wouldn't admire a father that enjoyed punishing a child, would we? So why would we admire God? God's not vengeful. God is just. That's different. God takes no pleasure in punishment, but because he's just, Judgment has to occur for all who won't turn from sin, who rejected the Son. Jesus hasn't returned because as First Timothy 2.4 says, God wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. And so every day, including this day, every day before Jesus returns is a day of grace. It's the opportunity for people to turn to him, be forgiven, receive eternal life. How many days will we have? I don't know that. I don't know that. We, you saw these, he's coming back, booklets, they're on the tables. And I, this is from a chapter of a book that I wrote years ago. And I just compiled, it's mostly scripture. But it gives you some of the indicators of Jesus' return. Also four views of the end times. Just a brief book that just you can read over. But when you read about the the signs, a lot of them are occurring. A lot of them are occurring. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And again, this is the Old Testament concept of God's return. See, You see, God created the world. It fell into corruption. God is going to reconcile the world, but he's going to reconcile it through destruction, and then he's going to replace it. But it's interesting that Peter is identifying the return of Jesus with the day of the Lord. Further evidence of Jesus' divinity. Continue in verse 10. then the heavens, and that's the physical universe there, will pass away with a terrible noise. Anybody ever created a big bonfire? Have you? I know you have, JC. Cut down trees. Well, there's a sound in a big fire, right? There's a whoosh, popping, cracking. And in the Greek, It refers to that same sound that whooshing of air because it's it's only going to actually be the consumption of created the the created earth being consumed by fire and there's a a disintegration of the universe's atoms It's, it's it's like uncreation is occurring God created out of nothing Latin ex nihilo And now he's breaking down. And the very elements themselves, and these are atomic components of the universe, will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Other translations say will be burned up. That's interesting again for you, those three of you scientists in the room. God here is violating the first law of thermodynamics you know what it's called the law of I hear rumbling but I can't this somebody said it the law of conservation of matter in other words matter but also energy can neither be created nor destroyed it can be by God because God created it and he will destroy it but otherwise matter can't be created and energy can't be created or destroyed in the universe but God will destroy it and in the midst of this destruction however he will show mercy to his own after Jesus returned the the entire present universe will cease to exist but it will be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth where the righteous will live with God forever Revelation 21 22. Have you received God's mercy? You know, I never preach fearful messages and I haven't sought not to deliver this one in this way. I don't think fear is a direct link to salvation. But ask God to show you. If you have doubts, there'll be people here at the front you can talk with. You can take your time. We're not hurrying people to quick make a decision. But pray it through. Ask the questions. Read the scripture. Talk to someone you trust. Because we may be nearing the day of the Lord. Don't get caught unprepared. There'll also be people in the uh, care connection room across the concourse. Father, I pray that this would be a day of salvation for many in this room I pray that your spirit, Lord, even if we've disputed you or doubted you or doubted your word, I pray that your spirit would bring conviction about the truth of your word, about the reliability of your return, about the grace of the gospel. Lord, I pray right now you'll draw many, many in this room to yourself. And that salvation will spill out from this room and pour out into this community Sweep across this country. Lord, we're in, we're in dire need of your intervention. And so we say, come Lord Jesus. But I ask that you would come in the form of your spirit, saving souls, Lord, before you come in the day of the Lord for destruction. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. This week, read and reflect the first two chapters of Genesis and the last two chapters of Revelation. Thank God for His promise to restore Eden and for showing patience and mercy to everyone. Pray for specific people you know who are far from God. Ask Him to invade their hearts with grace and deepen their own longing for Jesus' return. Next week, we'll continue the series. Remember, to prepare, read 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. Thanks for subscribing to this podcast, and if you like the podcast, please leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.